today on Ag News Daily. When you think about uh, the critical variables, then, if the interest rate picture is at least uh, stable at current levels, uh, what we're thinking about as we look at farmer profitability into 2024. Listeners, Wednesday, middle of the week, October 18th, 2023, Tanner and Delaney here to bring you headlines and another great conversation. Delaney, it almost felt damp, like a humid summer day when I walked outside this morning. Well, I haven't been outside yet, but it's looking very pretty out. Yeah, it uh, hopefully shapes up to be another good day for harvest. We, of course, have a highs almost reaching 70 here in the state of Iowa. We continue to reflect back on that conversation we had with Eric Snodgrass about the week on, week off of the wet weather pattern. And now DTN is calling for more rain in the middle of next week, especially in the Midwest. He said, as they look last week, the rain path traveled from Wyoming to Pennsylvania. Areas across the South and Southeast generally didn't get much. They stayed drier, but they've been staying dry for most of the year. There's a setup though, as we look into next week for a big storm that features uh, a trough that'll head from west and building that ridge as it moves further east. And by the time Delaney it gets to Iowa and must most of the Midwest, it could dump a substantial amount of rain. For one, when you look at the way this is building up over the plains, it is certainly going to have an opportunity to create strong winds, which again is not great for this time of year, especially with corn still standing in the in the field. But there could be additional moisture coming off the Gulf of Mexico. So we'll watch this system as we get closer to the end of the week to see what we might see in store for next week. The cold air coming out of the west could build with some of that, <clears throat> some of the environment coming off of the Gulf of Mexico, Delaney, which could cause this to have a substantial amount of moisture applied to most of the corn belts. We'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, that's almost a week out, but it looks like right now that system is building and could cause a halt to some harvest progress next week. Well, Tanner, I've got a few USDA-related headlines here as we look at some announcements recently made by USDA. They have awarded a total of $52.6 million under the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program, or FPEP. I'm not sure if I'm saying the acronym right, but that's how I would read it, which is aimed at boosting domestic fertilizer manufacturing, as well as advancing new fertilizer technologies and ultimately reducing the cost for farmers. 17 new projects will receive funding from a $900 million grant and through two rounds of awards, $121 million has been granted already to 33 projects to begin or expand independent and innovative fertilizer production here in the United States. More awards are expected to be coming later this month, Tanner, but they said in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it was important for the U.S. to continue to allocate resources to expand what we're producing here domestically. And the second headline I had here related to the USDA was the USDA has allocated more than $1.7 billion this year to producers and landowners using the Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP. 
Currently, over 667,000 participants in CRP have received payments from the USDA and farm service agencies for voluntary enrollment in conservation acres, covering now more than 23 million acres of private land. The top five states to receive CRP participation payments are as follows. Tanner, do you have any guesses on which states are in the top five there? Um, I would assume like Minnesota, Missouri, boy, Arkansas. I'm just thinking of a lot of wildlife states. Am I close? Yeah, you got two so far. Uh, Iowa is actually number one and has paid out $402 million. Illinois second here with $172 million. Minnesota, as you mentioned there, coming in third at $150 million, followed by South Dakota and Missouri. So yes, you got two out of five correct. So good job. I don't know that I would have guessed those accurately. But in 2023 total, we saw FSA enroll 3.9 million acres in CRP. And that number is expected to continue forward in 2024, Tanner. Although we could see that change a little bit depending on how the farm bill shakes out. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, I talked about the CSP program yesterday. And this is certainly going to be another area of consideration. Well, we've got the big four Packers back in the news, Delaney. There is a new price-fixing allegation that is floating around. A group of small food distributors have filed a suit on October 9th with the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Illinois, accusing these Packers of fixing prices for years. That's a tough sentence to say here in the morning. Uh, they allege the beginning in January 1st, 2015, Cargill, JBS, USA, Tyson Foods, and National Beef Pack exploited their market power to highly concentrate, and they conspired to limit the amount of beef sold to purchasers in the wholesale market. So they're continuing to look as this group of distributors push forward that this scheme caused them financial harm at least through the end of 2021. Obviously, that also includes the COVID year. They stated higher prices for beef that were otherwise unwarranted is what they were expecting and it violates the Sherman Antitrust Act. The allegations by these four small distributors is obviously not the first time that this has an antitrust accusation put in place. But I'm sure as we take a look here, it might follow the same path as the previous couple of uh, antitrust claims. A group of ranchers was dismissed earlier in August. A federal judge in Minnesota dismissed the claims for punitive damages as well. As a couple of those cases, Delaney, have set a precedence, but sticking on the Packer side of things, in Clayton County, Iowa, a livestock facility is again seeking approval from state regulators as to how it will dispose of its manure where they have continued opposition to the local community. Obviously, we've talked a lot about community opposition to CO2 pipelines, but this livestock facility is seeking approval from state regulators to be continued as far as down their path of construction. It appears to be deja vu over again because of their earlier failed process. The problem is that Supreme Beef does not fit the regulations box uh, on Monday. The cattle operations spokesperson stated that they requested approval from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources for its nutrient management plan 
which proposes to disperse the manure on fields for row crops. That seems pretty standard, right, Delaney? But the facility has 39 million gallons in a manure storage basin that's situated close to some of the headwaters of Iowa's trout streams, which is where the issues come into place. So we'll continue to take a look at this, but also that manure storage pit is located over porous soils, so they may have extra requirements put in place. The 11,600 11, head cattle facility has been plagued with these legal troubles and trying to get repermitted since 2019. There's two cattle headlines for you, Delaney. All right, Tanner. Well, I had the big four packer story here as well. So moving on to my next story, Arkansas is one of the first states now, Tanner, to actually ask foreign farmland investors to divulge of their farmland assets. Arkansas has ordered Syngenta to sell 160 acres of farmland in the United States within two years because the company is Chinese owned. Arkansas earlier this month, or sorry, Arkansas earlier this year passed some legislation that would not permit foreign farmland owners and investors. And therefore, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has very much blatantly asked the Chinese to withdraw and sell the farmland. Sinjanta said that they were very disappointed by this decision and called it a short-sighted action that will ultimately hurt Arkansas farmers. The company owns about 1,500 acres of farmland, Tanner, in U.S. agricultural land, specifically for research, develop, and regulatory trials. And uh, they said it's going to make it really hard to do some of those trials that they need farmland for. But it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out here as, I, I mean, I, I don't know if this could go to something like the World Trade Organization or if there is a larger court body that the Chinese could potentially sue the state of Arkansas over, but it is Arkansas legislation. So it'll be interesting here to see how this plays out over the next two years, Tanner. Yeah, it is going to string out for a little while. We are seeing FarmWise switch their business model a little bit. FarmWise has been known for their robotic weeders to where they were self-propelled, especially in those high value and vegetable crops. They have now looked at their third generation of weeder, their Vulcan line of mechanical weed control machines that can be pulled by a standard tractor. They demonstrated its new line of six-line Romaine field robotic, oh, at the robotics event, their new six-line robotic weeder that is pulled behind a tractor set up with GPS to follow the rolls. Their new unit is an upgrade over their previous type. This makes the machine and technology a lot easier to be adapted by those looking to add the technology to their operation. The FarmWise Titan was autonomous and had its own power source. This is a tractor pulled utility, kind of looks like a row crop cultivator, obviously with a lot more technology to be able to identify weeds versus those plants that wants to be kept. This is looking to be more adopt. This high performance system has cameras and lighting and computation elements to control how much of plant matter is left and how much is considered weeds. Their two models come with a single bed model, which would be one row and up to the six row 
leaders themselves. They're looking to re, uh, unveil this for use in up to eight crops with the plan by the end of the year, Delaney, to expand that. The first ones they're looking at are, are Brussels sprouts, artichokes, and lettuce crops. So quite interesting technology there. The camera and lighting work together to identify based upon their algorithm and software what needs to be kept. It is also meant to ease the task on operators as labor is harder to come by. The original autonomous structure was meant to not need labor at all, but the reliability of those came into question. So now an operator can sit in the seat and operate while the program does most of the work. So kind of neat technology being unveiled there, Delaney. Certainly does sound that way. Tanner might be a good Tech Tuesday interview here in the future, but I think I'm ready to move into some geopolitical headlines here as we haven't had a ton of updates about Ukraine, Russia, as we've been really focused on Israel. And that's certainly been overshadowed here in the news as well. But there were about 90 ships in the Ukrainian port of Ismail on the Danube River yesterday, according to some market sources, which has tripled Tanner over the past week. Another dozen vessels are at the port of Rennie as shippers are becoming increasingly more comfortable with using the Ukrainian corridor. And another 14 ships are believed to be in or around the facilities at Odessa. The uh, first big Panamax is believed to be arriving to load in Ukraine in November. And that would be a really monumental shipment there, Tanner, as it would be the first Panamax in quite some time. And Russia has continued to place attacks on port facilities but has not specifically targeted ships. So I'm not sure. I guess that's a little bit of good news there. But authorities all in all said that attacks have already reduced port capacity by roughly 40% with the ongoing attacks. And uh, we'll certainly probably see some foreign aid coming in the next round of of the government spending, and that could include foreign aid for Ukraine as well as Israel, as President Biden is making a monumental trip this week, Tanner, and should have just hit the ground in Tel Aviv, Israel, earlier this morning, our morning time, as he will be doing an assessment of the jam damage and meeting with Israel leaders as the strikes continue along the Gaza Strip. Yeah, it looks like that's an extremely high-stakes trip. I'm surprised, obviously, that that uh, is a place that our president would visit rather than a foreign minister or uh, somebody in his cabinet. So quite interesting to see that play out. Really, the only extra antidote I want to add today from Israel is the fact that there are now nearly 2.2 million people trapped in Gaza. The attacks have been spiraling out of control and more and more of the resources have been cut off. So uh, originally that was an evacuation order for 1.1 million. And now there are nearly 2.2 million without access to all amenities necessary. Uh, looks like Israel is still vowing to wipe out the boss as they continue to go through this process. And now that 2,800 number is been risen to 3,300 uh, expected to have been killed in Gaza. So unfortunate that those 
conditions continue to worsen. That's what I've got for headlines today. So what do you say we look at where markets are going to open? Let's do that, Tanner. And markets are certainly uh, looking a little more favorable here this morning as December corn is up four and a half cents at 4.93 and a half. No soybeans up 10 and a half cents at 13.07 here in the overnights. December Chicago wheat up six pennies at 5.76 and three quarters. December hard red winter wheat up five and a quarter cent at 6.72. And December spring wheat up five pennies at 7.32 and three quarters. A quick reminder at where livestock closed yesterday, Tanner. December live cattle closed 32 and a half cents higher at a buck 86.87. November feeder cattle up 52 and a half cents at 250.45 and December lean hogs shed 75 cents yesterday to close at 67.55. Tanner for today's interview conversation, we're turning things over to a conversation I had with Ken Zuckerberg of CoBank to discuss the 2024 ag outlook as we head into the final quarter here of 2023. As we head into 2024, there's a lot of mixed pieces fighting against each other uh, here as we head into 2024, thinking about the general economy, the farm economy, the outlook for farm inputs, and so much more. We're chatting today with Ken Zuckerberg, the lead economist for farm supply and biofuel for CoBank. Ken, thank you so much for joining here today. Wonderful to be with you. So Ken, you know, as we were talking before we started recording our conversation today, there's certainly a lot of mixed perspectives heading into 2024 and CoBank just released their quarterly uh, report here looking at the macro economy and specifically U.S. ag economy. As we head into 2024, what's your perspective? Give us the synopsis of this report. So to answer the question, there are certainly a lot of uh, moving pieces uh, as we head into uh, the final quarter. Uh, we're already in at the final quarter of 2023 and into 2024. Um, interest rates are obviously much higher than they were uh, two years back. We have a strong dollar. We have uh, uh, a continued uh, difficult geopolitical environment most recently with the, uh, the attacks in Israel and the uh, uh, conflict that uh, is coming uh, better, more to light, as well as uh, ongoing tensions with uh, Russia, Ukraine. Not to mention that federal, uh, federal debt levels are very high, and uh, it seems that certain people have a, uh, a very negative view about where the economy may go uh, being into a recession. At this point, however, uh, our message, uh, as you saw on the quarterly, is rates are going to be higher for longer. That probably is going to be a drag on the rural economy. However, the U.S. at this stage is not heading into a uh, recession, and that, from a high-level standpoint, is, uh, is pretty good. That is really good news. And I think producers have adjusted their balance sheets with higher interest rates and operating notes here in 2023. So do you expect to see interest and operating notes remain at similar levels in 2024? Go higher, come down, what's your outlook there? So our working assumption is that uh, the Federal Reserve is almost done with respect to rising, uh, raising interest rates to tame inflation. 
there is a strong argument that there could be one more rate increase bringing the uh, the bottom of the policy rate up to uh, 5.5%. Um, we think after that, it's uh, that they will be uh, completed. So when you think about uh, the critical variables then, if the interest rate picture is at least uh, stable at current levels, uh, what we're thinking about as we look at farmer profitability into 2024 would be the following. First, uh, what are the, you know, what are the uh, intended uh, mix of corn versus soybean? Uh, fertilizer prices are very low, and I would say that is uh, a positive for uh, nutrient-intensive crops like corn. Of course, the uh, price of corn, the commodity price is down as well, so we're very keen to see where budgets will be, what the crop mix will be, and of course, uh, setting that on the backdrop of uh, uh, the lower fertilizer costs and uh, higher higher interest rate costs. Yeah, you mentioned fertilizer and, and just inputs in general. You know, of course, when commodity prices rise, we see the cost of inputs typically rise pretty quickly alongside of that. And it sounds like next year's farm economy is not going to be quite as strong as we've seen here for the last few years. So, Ken, where does that put fertilizer and other inputs when you look at 2024? So if we step back and just look at the current picture now, I think what's interesting is over the past uh, few months, you've seen some upward pressure on uh, oil, crude oil prices, and to a certain extent, more recently, natural gas prices. But the, uh, the inflation trade, if you will, is not really intact now. Um, grain prices are down. Fertilizer prices are down. So when we look at the broad numbers for the consumer price index and producer price indexes, and we sort of square out where things look like, I think uh, it will be all about um, what is your you know, crop mix and can you take advantage of cheap fertilizer prices, uh, you know, looking at which, which crops are most uh, productive to plant. What I would tell you as I look at uh, the space in a little deeper, uh, with a deeper lens, low corn prices actually will be very positive for ethanol producers. So to the extent uh, uh, you're selling into that market, there's going to be demand, and I think that is a positive. Perhaps not as much money as uh, uh, a farmer might have been able to make in previous years, but there's a, a steady demand there, uh, at least in the next uh, uh, six to 12 months. Another variable is that in 2024 and 2025, a large amount of new capacity for the renewable diesel uh, industry is coming online. And as you may know, that product uh, uses soybeans as an input. So to the extent we have some soft grain prices happening um, at the moment, we do see uh, an upward uh, movement in grain prices uh, looking out towards 2025. Of course, that means that uh, the next year will be all about being a low-cost operator and maximizing uh, the inputs that you use to produce a, a, a crop uh, as close to break even as possible. So that, or, uh, so that's how we're we're sort of thinking about the the space at the moment. So Ken, as we look at 
the farm bill, the lapse in budgets, all of these geopolitical events that you mentioned there. It's hard to predict, I think, right now what's going to happen when it comes to funding. But farm bills specifically, a lot of farmers are curious what's going to happen. I'm curious as well, you know, as we look at the end of the year here, will we get a farm bill in 23 or is it going to be kicked into 2024? And how's that going to impact farm economy? Well, I'm curious as well. So I joined the uh, the other parties, including yourself, on the farm bill. Our working assumption is that uh, the current farm bill will be extended, with a uh, with a hope and desire that uh, by year end we have some visibility on that being passed, so that there are no disruptions into uh, 2024. Um, should a new bill not come uh, to fruition, I would imagine that we would see. Uh, even a, a, an additional extension so that there's no disruption with the funding programs that the uh, U.S. Agriculture Department and the government have uh, have put in place over the uh, past few years. So, Ken, I feel like we've hit on general outlook. Uh, we've hit on supply and demand. We've hit on a little bit of the policy here. What are the other big things we need to be thinking about as we head into 2024? Well, getting back to the biofuel side, I think there's a very, very interesting story there. As uh, most people know, ethanol is the uh, one of the original climate smart fuels, which uh, what I mean by that is is a, uh, uh, a product that actually reduces pollution uh, and brings down the price of uh, blended gasoline at the uh, pump. That's a good story. Profitability was very, very strong, has been very strong in the uh, uh, in 2023. And what's interesting is that uh, although the production level uh, has not exceeded the pre-COVID levels, we're pretty close and the profitability is very strong. So that would be an area uh, that uh, we're focused on. We're paying a lot of attention, as we mentioned earlier, to the grain space and what uh, uh, downward pressure on corn and soybean prices in the near term. Sometimes we forget about the fact that uh, cheap grain prices beyond the uh, biofuel uh, side, cheap grain is, is very good for the animal protein sector uh, from the standpoint of feed costs. So. Uh, in an environment that we've lived through with a lot of inflation in the past few years, we are seeing some deflationary uh, factors here, which I think uh, are worth mentioning. Wonderful. Well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us your high-level perspective on this quarterly report and your outlook for 2024. Certainly appreciate your time and insight. Appreciate the opportunity as well. There you go, listeners. Halfway through the week, we've got two more shows left for you, so don't go too far. Check back with us tomorrow as we get you another episode. Delaney, well, a lot of news, a lot of headlines. We'll be back tomorrow for today. Should we let them go? Let's let them go.